What's up, guys? How you doing this evening? Let's go. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John yet again. We're going to be in John chapter 18. So if your Bibles turn to John chapter 18, I'm going to get us caught up from where we left off this morning, going from chapter 10 all the way to 18, giving you a high-profile overview. But if you remember this morning, as we sat in the wrestling of sin, And I gave that example of when I went to go propose to my wife and the jeweler, as I'm picking out rings, pulls out this black felt canvas, puts it on top of the jewelry case in order to make the ring that he is gonna put there pop like nobody's business. And tonight, we get to look at what has power over sin, the light that darkness could not comprehend, the light that is going to abolish sin and slavery for eternity for those who put their life in Jesus's hands. This is the reason why me and my family got on a plane from California all the way here to tell you about what Jesus did for you, and that's what we get to dive into tonight. It's the reason why this whole camp, this whole place exists is for the message that we get to uncover and unpack in the work and the finished, completed work of Jesus on the cross. Are you with me? So here we go. So in John chapter 10, what we see is Jesus giving a parable about himself, calling himself the good shepherd. And in John 10, 7 through 9, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out finding pastors, Jesus in John 10, proclaiming that he is the door to have access to God himself that he is the good shepherd, that he leads the sheep, he leads us to green pastures that we might graze and have life and life abundantly. And then in verse 24 of chapter 10, the Jews finally get to this breaking point with Jesus. And he says, they ask him, if you are the Christ, if you are the anointed one, if you're the one from the beginning of time that has been prophesied, that is said is going to come and free us from slavery, tell us now. And in verse 24, they ask him, if you are the Christ, the anointed one, the prophet, the one who has come to save us, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. The works I do, I do in my Father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe it because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then in verse 30, he again claims, I and my father are one. I am the great I am. And then in John chapter 11, after all these I am statements that Jesus is prophesying that he has victory over death itself, he gives us proof that he indeed does. You see in John chapter 11, One of Jesus' best friends dies. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus, him and his family, take him and put Lazarus in a tomb, and they roll a stone over the tomb. And Lazarus is dead not just one day, not just two days, 
not just three days, but four days. And in Hebrew culture, there was this belief that maybe there would be hope, that maybe within the three-day span that the one who was slain could rise. But on day four, that was the day where the most mourning took place because they realized there was no hope. And Jesus shows up to Lazarus' family's door, to the front of the tomb of Lazarus on day four, when it seemed that all hope was lost. And then Jesus makes this statement to this woman named Martha who's standing at the tomb of Lazarus with him and Jesus says this, listen to the very words of Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will even when he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus, in this moment, looking at a day four tomb, grief-stricken family, hope gone, says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. Not even death itself can get in the way of me. We looked at this morning that for the wages of sin is death. This death with this meaning of die, die. Not only does it mean you die physically, but you die eternally. And Jesus says, ah, I have victory over that. Not only that, let me prove it to you. And he has the stone rolled away from Lazarus' tomb. And he puts his hands probably over his mouth and goes, Lazarus, come out. It's quiet for a second. And then all of a sudden you begin to hear footsteps inside the tomb. And Lazarus walks out as if he had never been dead in the first place. And Martha and his family come running and embrace Lazarus in this moment. Jesus proclaiming that death's chains have no authority over Jesus. That death in Jesus does not have the final say. That Jesus holds the resurrection in the palm of his hand. And yet in light of this, In John chapter 12, verse 23, we see that it's now time for Jesus to bear the full weight of sin. Up until this point, there's people talking about Jesus or seeing him do all these incredible signs, and Jesus is like, that's awesome. Let's not tell anybody yet because my time, my hour has not come yet. But then in chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus says, the hour has come. My time has come for the Son of Man, me, Jesus, to be glorified. That the whole reason why Jesus was born, the whole reason why God, the light in John chapter 1, came into creation was about to be fulfilled. And Jesus turns his attention to Jerusalem where he is going to be tried and crucified. And we see Jesus take his disciples and they go on this journey to Jerusalem and he looks at his disciples the night before he's going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends and they ask him, he asks his disciples, go prepare an upper room, we're going to share a meal together. And the meal that they share in chapter 13 is a very important one, it's a meal called Passover. See, Passover originated with Moses and the Israelites In Exodus, when Moses is going to lead the Israelites out of the bondage of slavery, but before they do, God asks that they take part in this meal of unleavened bread, meaning this bread didn't rise, it was flat, and they were to have bags on their back ready to go for after this meal, he would free them. And the reason why it was called Passover 
is because the Israelites would take blood of a slain lamb and put it over the doorposts of their home. Because the final plague that God was going to do to Egypt was to take the firstborn son and that whoever had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost would be saved and they would be passed over. And Jesus, in the midst of this time, proclaiming that I will be your new Passover lamb. That in me, that my blood is going to mark the doorpost of your life. That in me, death will pass over you. And in the midst of this Passover, Jesus does a very interesting thing. Jesus gets up from the table and he ties a towel around his waist and he walks around to each of the 12 disciples and he washes their feet. I don't know about you, but my feet are gross, just being honest. I could not imagine someone washing my feet. In this day, we look at what was going on, they were wearing sandals, there was mud caked all over their feet, nasty, disgusting, and Jesus being the king of the universe, look at me, the king of the universe, getting on his hands and knees with a towel around his waist, washing his disciples' feet. And I love when he gets to Peter in John 13, and Peter, his disciples, like, no, 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 don't wash my feet, you are too good to be doing this, and Jesus makes a statement to Peter. He says, Peter, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part of me. What Jesus is proclaiming is, without my washing, without my fulfilling, without my taking away of sin in your life, you have no part of me. You have to humble yourself and realize that Jesus is the only way to be clean and whole and right. Then I love how Peter's like, well, if that's the case, dude, dunk me. Like, let's do this thing. Like, let's take it, like, let's do it. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I'm just washing the parts of you that are dirty. You see, Jesus wanted to not have Peter get it twisted, that it's no result of Peter in which he's going to be clean. It's going to be fully a work of Jesus himself. And in this moment, Jesus washes his feet. And then in verse 21 of chapter 13, Judas, one of Jesus' 12 who has walked with Jesus every day for three years, Jesus looks at Judas and says, you can do what you have planned to do. See, Judas had sold Jesus to the highest bidder for 30 pieces of silver. Judas had given the Pharisees, hey, I will take Jesus to this point. We'll meet him and then we will have him arrested. And he, Jesus, uh, Judas gets up from the table and goes and grabs this band of Romans and Pharisees to go arrest Jesus. His, one of his closest Friends, Judas gets up from the table and leaves. Now there's Jesus just left with the 11. And then in verse 34 of chapter 13, Jesus gives a new commandment to his disciples before he goes. And I think it's so vital that we look at this time with Jesus. This is Jesus' last meal before he goes to the cross. And he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, and that is if you love one another. Jesus, in John 13, isn't just casually throwing out the word love. He's using an intentional word called agape. Agape meaning this self-sacrificial love, this love that is going to cost you so much, if not everything. 
And he makes a qualifier for how we are to love each other. And that qualifier is we need to love each other in the same way that Jesus loves you and loves me. And what does that love look like? And then in John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus proclaims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And John 14 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you myself, that where I go, there you may be also. And then in verse six, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus adding to the I am statements he's already said moments before he's gonna go to the cross. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the only thing that sustains. I'm the only thing that brings life. I'm the only thing that can take your sin and replace it with satisfaction in Jesus. I'm the only person who can give you hope and peace and purpose. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I know for so many of us who, who get attacked on this front of going, man, there's gotta be many ways to God and Jesus contending, no, there's only one, and that is me. I'm pretty sure if there was another way to get to God, he would have done it other than allowing his son to be killed. I think of me as a dad. I don't know if I could take me as a dad putting the weight of sin on one of my daughters, saying that she's gonna have to pay the full price. God putting the full weight soon on Jesus in this moment. And that is where we pick up in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Read it with me. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over a ravine to the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all these things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Who do you seek? I love Jesus in this moment that I think we would view as absolute chaos. It's in the middle of the night. Jesus is praying in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane meaning the Garden of the Olive Press. This cohort, this band of Romans and Pharisees comes with clubs, comes with torches, and it looks like it's going to be utter chaos, but I love how it says in verse four, Jesus knowing all the things that were coming upon him. Jesus is in full control in this moment. Jesus wasn't dragged off reluctantly to the cross. Jesus, knowing that the cross was always the original intent, steps up and asks, who are you seeking? And in this moment, they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene, and he said, I am he. And, Ju- and Judas also and those who were betraying him were standing before them. When he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
Jesus in this moment. They ask, where is Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he, using the very same words that God himself used when he said, call me the great I am. And this rocks those who are standing before him. And then in verse 7, therefore he again asked them, who do you seek? And they get up off the ground and they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Jesus giving himself up willingly. Jesus completely handing himself over to what is about to happen. Why? Because he has you, he has me, and he has the eternity of the world etched on his heart. That no one killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his life for you and for me. And then Jesus is dragged, may I say he walked with them, to the chief priests, and the chief priests begin to try Jesus in John chapter 18, verse 12 through 24. And we see that in this trial, it's one that's been rigged. They've pulled false accusations, false witnesses, and they begin to slander Jesus, saying things about him that are not true. It's a joke of a trial. They're slandering him, mocking him, spitting on him. At one point, they strike Jesus in the face. And then soon after that, we see Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, following close behind Jesus. And this little girl runs up to Peter and goes, hey, aren't you one of the people who were following Jesus? And Peter goes, no, 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 you, you got it twisted, wrong guy, different guy probably with a beard, you got it false. And he denies Jesus three times. Jesus has his closest friends abandon him in this moment. But it's not over for Peter, and it's not over for you, and it's not over for me. Now in John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, we have what our theme verse has been this time before Pilate. So let's read it together in verse 28. So then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out and said, what accusation do you have against this man? And they answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, would we have not delivered him to you? Love how they're just trying to make up a reason for him being there. In verse 34, Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of that which Jesus had spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Verse 33, therefore Pilate entered again to the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And in verse 34, Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Then Jesus, in verse 36, answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus proclaiming that my kingdom is above all kingdoms. 
that my kingdom is one that cannot be overthrown or defeated, that I have eternity in mind. In verse 34, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king and for this reason I have been born and I have come into the world to testify to the truth that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus, again, proclaiming his deity as God, that his kingdom is forever, that is over all kingdoms. And Pilate's response to this question, what is truth, realizing that truth is standing in front of him. And then Pilate goes on and gives the, the, the Jewish people a choice. Seeing that he sees Jesus going, I don't see any fault in this man. What has he done? He goes and it was the custom on that day that the Romans would give a release of a prisoner that was bound to die. And so they bring out a guy named Barnabas. I mean Barabbas, sorry, not Barnabas. Barnabas was a great guy, study him. Barabbas. And Barabbas was a known murderer, a known psychopath. And they stand him next to Jesus. And Pilate goes, who do you want? We can release, the, today's the day. I can release Jesus back to you, and Pilate thinks this is a no-brainer, or I can give you Barabbas, the known crazy murderer of the Jews. And they cry out for Barabbas' release and cry out that Jesus might be crucified. And Barabbas runs in the crowd of free men, and Jesus heads to his execution. In verse 19, in chapter 19, we see that Jesus is then taken and they put a crown of thorns on his head and he's taken and he's beaten and he's whipped 39 times. 40 was known to kill a man. Now it isn't just a, a regular whip or leather straps. It was called a cat of nine tails. And what they would do, the Romans would take these leather straps and in them they would tie pieces of metal, pieces of bone, pieces of wood. They would strap Jesus to a wooden pylon in the middle of the, of the town center and they would whip Jesus. And they would stick this cat of nine tails, bring it all the way back, hit Jesus in the back, wait till it grabbed flesh and then pull it off of him. 39 times, metal, bone, wood, digging into the very rib cage of Jesus and ripping it off of his skin. Reminds me of when Isaiah said, by his stripes we will be healed. Jesus taking the full weight. And he put a crown of thorns on his head and said, hey look, hail the king of the Jews as blood begins dripping down the forehead of Jesus. And then they put a cross on Jesus' back and they have him march to the place through the streets where he is going to be killed. In verse 23, after he's on the cross, they continue to humiliate him. In verse 19, then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier and also his tunic, and now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. And so they said to one another, let us tear it and cast lots to decide whose it shall be. And thus it fulfills the scripture in Psalm chapter 22 where it says, they divided my outer garments among them and my clothing and cast lots. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife, 
and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing there, the disciple whom he loved, by the way, is John, who writes this book, standing there witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother, for the hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing all things had been already accomplished, to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch and hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet. Therefore, a total from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The whole time that the temple sacrifice was going on, you see the custom was on the day of atonement, what would happen is the Jewish people would begin sacrifices at nine in the morning. Jesus is put on a cross when? At nine in the morning. And then on the six hour, six hours later at 3 p.m., the time when the temple sacrifices were done, a horn blast would blow signifying what? That the temple sacrifices were finished. Jesus, nailed to a cross, bleeding, ribs exposed, cries out as the trumpet sounds, it is finished, and breathes his last and gives up his spirit. But I ask this question, why? Why did Jesus have to die in the first place? And to answer that question, I want us to flip, keep your fingers in John chapter 19, and I want us to flip to Hebrews chapter nine. You can use your table of contents. Please use it. Hebrews chapter nine, it's right after Titus and Philemon. Forgot there for a second. Hebrews chapter nine, and we're gonna see Jesus is labeled something called the high priest. Now what did priests do in the time of Jesus? What was their role? What was their job? Their their role was to go on the day of atonement, to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year before the presence of God. They would take the blood of a slain animal and they would sprinkle it upon the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies that represented the throne of God. And scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so the priests would come and they would sprinkle the blood on the seat, on the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments were held, representing a covering of sin of the people. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered into the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and of bulls and of ashes of a heifer sprinkling those on those who had been defiled sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
See, the priest was the main mediator, mediator being someone who goes before God on your behalf. Jesus pins himself on the cross, being the sacrifice on your behalf. When we look at the cross, when I describe the crucifixion to you, I need you to understand something. Look at me. That should have been you. That should have been me. That's what the weight of my sin deserved. Jesus, knowing that being the perfect mediator for us, he substitutes himself in our place. He took what you deserved and put it on his back. He was owed life because he had no sin. And he takes your death, substituting your death for his life. And he pays it in full. And this phrase at the end when Jesus says, it is finished, means that it is completely done, that the payment has been made. That we see in Romans for the wages of sin and death, the wages, your wages, look at me, your wages of sin have been paid in the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And then verse 15, it continues in Hebrews chapter nine, for this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, a new promise, so that since death has taken place for the redemption or the payment of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, this first covenant meaning the law, that the law in the Old Testament was shown to demonstrate that there's nothing you or I could do to merit the favor of God. But there's this new covenant, and this new covenant being all of those who put their hope and faith in Jesus, no matter what they've done, will be saved. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that since death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed on the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For a covenant is, there must be a necessity be death of those who made it, Jesus dying, sealing the covenant. For a covenant is only valid when men are dead, for it is never in force while those who made it, never in force for one who has made it live. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop sprinkled the blood both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God had commanded you. Again, this picture of Jesus going before God, sprinkling his own perfect unblemished blood that you and I might be forgiven. And what is our inheritance then? 1 Corinthians 5.21, listen to this. This is God's word. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you remember this morning when I had my white t-shirt and I completely obliterated it with black paint? Do you guys remember that? Gross. It's a, if you want that shirt, you can have it. But in the process, it's this demonstration that I cannot clean myself off, that I am blemished when it says the righteousness of God, that Jesus is the only one who has right standing before God. And Jesus, when he dies, pays that penalty so that when we put our faith in Jesus, God doesn't see the blemishes on our shirt. He sees the very, for the purposes of the illustration, the very shirt of Jesus Christ. That when he sees you, he doesn't see someone marked and stained by sin anymore because Jesus had paid it. When we put our faith in Jesus, he sees his 
son, we get to inherit the righteousness of God. In Philippians 3.9, it says, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness which comes on the basis of faith. The payment was made in full, that Jesus pays the full weight of our sin, that I no longer have to be identified by my shortcomings, by the the wages of sin being death. I now get to be identified as a son and daughter of God because Jesus has paid for me. That my inheritance doesn't have to be death anymore because he's paid it. Does this make sense to you? Just like someone goes and you buy a good, it costs you something and you give you the good in return, Jesus goes and he pays the cost for your eternity. Bears it on the cross so that you might have new life. The payment is made and he dies and he breathes his last. But the beauty of the gospel is an empty tomb. That Jesus doesn't stay dead. If Jesus had stayed dead, you and I as believers should be pitied above all men. Why? Because it shows that the payment was not enough. Jesus, on the third day, erupts out of the grave, signifying that it has been paid in full. That Jesus paid your death and now is offering new life and abundant life and hope and identity and nothing else can rip that away from you as you place your faith in Jesus. Look at chapter 20 verse 11. But Mary was standing there outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus laid. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, you have carried him away. Tell me where have you laid him? Mary not even realizing it's Jesus in this moment. And then verse 16, a beautiful, beautiful text in your whole Bible. Jesus said to her, Mary. Calls her by name. And I I can almost picture, she hears Mary and she goes, "I, I know that voice. No one says my name that way, only Jesus did. And she turns around and realizes who it is. Friends, Jesus tonight in this room is looking at you, calling your name, saying, come back to me. I am here to give you life. He knows what you've done. He knows your sin, and he still chooses to take your death, pay it in full, and offer you life to all those who put their faith in Jesus. You have an eternal inheritance, an eternal inheritance that cannot be taken away from you, and that inheritance is life and life abundant. The resurrection is proof that Jesus' payment was enough. That you no longer have to be identified by your sin, that you no longer have to be bound by the chains of sin, destined to death, that you can have the full righteousness of Christ, that you no longer have to rock the sin that you have, that you can fully walk into as an adopted son and daughter of God. Look at me. You and Jesus can have an adopted eternity that is secure. You no longer have to be identified by your sin. You get to be identified as a son and a daughter of the living God that he paid it in full, that you no longer have to search for other truths that are constantly gonna leave you dissatisfied, hurt, 
broken and beaten, he offers the one truth that in him there is life and life abundant, that you no longer have to keep on this rat race of trying to find purpose, that you can find forgiveness, grace, unfavored grace before God that you get to walk as a son and daughter. It's the greatest news ever penned, spoken, period. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. And he did that for you and he did it for me. This is the greatest news ever. If you remember last night, we, or this morning, we started with John chapter eight and the woman who has been found committed adultery and she's dragged before Jesus. And they say, stone her. And he goes, okay, he is without sin. Cast the first stone. Everybody leaves and who's left with the woman? Jesus. Jesus gets down on her level, picks her up off the ground, says, woman, who has condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus could have fully in justification wiped us out because of sin and yet chooses to pay our debt, our sin debt, that we can have new life, that we don't have to live in condemnation. We get to live in freedom. That you no longer have to be bound by sin. You get to be bound by the love of the Father. That God stopped at nothing, stopped at nothing to save you and me. He looked at death in the face and said, bring it on, takes it and defeats it on the third day, proving that you and I can have new life in Christ, that you are fully forgiven, fully forgiven, fully seen, fully known, fully loved. So what does it look like to walk in this? 1 John 1.9 tells us we confess our sins He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we come to terms and realize, Jesus, you are the truth, you are the way, you are the life, no one comes to the Father except through you, you are King Jesus. He then bestows upon you his righteousness, his right standing before God. He gives you undeserved favor before God. You now get to walk in grace, undeserved favor before God. You get to walk in full forgiveness. In Jesus, you are fully known, you are fully loved, and you are fully forgiven. I'm gonna say that again. In Jesus, you are fully known, you are fully loved, and fully forgiven, that your wages no longer have to be death. Do you hear me? Tonight, I'm gonna give you guys the opportunity to step into this new life, some for the first time, to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and receive the greatest gift of love and grace that's ever been bestowed, to give up these truths that are untruths, these unrealities you've been following and pursuing, this sin that has so racked you, to give all that up for the freedom and love and glory of God. You guys have an opportunity tonight to walk into the family to become an adopted son and daughter of the living God. And it's the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna give you some time to process. I'm gonna give you some time to sit and it's between you and God. God sees you in this moment. He brought you all the way here on January, I mean July 21st for this exact moment. It's between you and God to walk out of your sin into life and life abundantly by proclaiming him as Lord, that he is the Lord of your life, that he is Savior, that he is the one true God, that he is the power to save. 
and to walk in as an adopted son and daughter of Jesus Christ. I want to give you about 90 seconds in the quiet as the band plays just to process that because that's between you and God. Between you and the Lord. And then I'm going to come back up and give an invitation for all of you here that you feel the Holy Spirit calling in the depths of your heart, calling you out of sin into life, calling you out of slavery into freedom, calling out of you, you out of death into life abundant. It's your decision. It's nothing you could do but everything Jesus has done. Between you and the Lord. In this moment, that's you. You feel the God of the universe tugging at your heart, proclaiming that you don't need to live in sin anymore. You can exchange that sin for his life. That you don't have to live in darkness and shame anymore. He's paid it in full that you can come and be fully adopted in the family of God. I'm going to ask you to do something if that's the decision you want to make tonight the commitment you want to make tonight to proclaim Jesus Lord of your life and receive that forgiveness, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. In a minute, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I don't want you to think about, well, what will my friends think? This is between you and Jesus. It's not your friend's faith that saves. It's you and the Lord. He's offering that free gift of grace to you. And it's scary. Yes, I know. But in this moment, we get to proclaim that we are walking out of darkness into Jesus who is light. So if that's you tonight, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never proclaimed him as king and you want to walk from darkness into light, if you want to walk from condemned to forgiven, if you want to walk into adoption as a son or a daughter of the living God, I'm going to ask you to stand. 
Stay standing. What you are witnessing right now is a miracle. As people are walking from death to life, He sees you. He knows you. And what's going to happen is we're going to have a chance to respond through worship. And if you're standing, counselors, I want you to get an eye on who this is as you get to usher them into the family of God. We're now going to walk into a song. We get to celebrate because this is the greatest thing that can ever happen. A soul that's gone from death to life, an orphan to an adopted son and daughter. Praise God. Let's sing. For this is the greatest miracle on the face of the planet. Night is going to look like is that if you stood and you're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord this evening, I'm going to ask you to stay back. As we dismiss, if you, if you made that commitment, you stood up saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior, my truth, my reality. Have you stay behind. as your counselors you want, want to, to usher cabins, you into what that looks like? Cabins, but I ask for those of you not to usher you into the family of God. Amen. Let's pray. But if you're Heavenly here Father, and you didn't stand up, God, but you're you are feeling Lord, the Holy Spirit move, King, and you're like, you know what? Glory, That's honor, me. And praise stay. to you, God, as we just witnessed a miracle. There's nothing going on after chapel for like 20 and 30 minutes. You're not going to miss anything. Walking into what it means. This is why we're son and daughter of your kingdom. This is why you came to camp. God, it's a miracle for tonight. Even if you Father, get I out those you doors tonight. and you're halfway to, to your you. cabin glory and you feel you, the Holy God. Spirit hit you saying, no, 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 you are mine. Come back to Jesus, this chapel. Jesus, we love you. Let's walk you through. And we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. You've been walking with God Amen. for a little bit. You've completely All right, if you're staying, God. if you stood, stay. If you're leaving, you please leave in a discipline of silence. Back to your cabins.